if you want to make changes, you've got to be proactive. You've got to make some plans, make sometimes some tricky choices because there's often no easy choices because if it was easy, you'd have worked out already. Uh, And sometimes there's a payoff to be made, for example, between hours and money worked. And that takes a bit of being proactive, sometimes a bit of courage. It's not always easy. I think you just need to acknowledge it is a little bit unsettling and just coming back to work and finding things a little bit difficult initially doesn't mean you're right back into burnout. It just means that change is difficult for all of us. It might be a bit stressful, but you're probably going to respond to that pressure and that stress with improved performance. And returning to work is one stage of your career. It's not a permanent situation. So actually that, that might just be okay. Have you ever taken more than a few weeks off work, for example, maternity leave, a sabbatical or a career break? If so, you'll know that it's tricky going back to work, even after a positive experience, let alone a difficult one like a serious illness, stress or burnout. Working in high stress, high stakes jobs can be pressurised at the best of times, but when you're feeling rusty and you've been through the mill mentally and emotionally, it can feel impossible and your confidence may have taken a serious knock meaning that imposter syndrome rears its ugly head. But with some careful planning and proactivity, you can make this process as painless as possible and even realise that you're bringing new skills, attitudes and mindsets into your workplace, which may be helpful for everybody. So in this episode, Dr. Katja Miles joins me for the first episode in our series about what to do after burnout to discuss how to go back to work well. We discuss hints and tips which will hopefully set you up to continue to be able to rise to the demands of the job. We also talk about what to say to colleagues and how to avoid slipping back into stress and burnout. While this series is focusing on what to do after burnout, the principles apply to us all, whether we've been off work, due to any sort of leave or even just a couple of weeks of holiday. I've been stunned recently by how close to burnout many of my colleagues are right now. And if we can take just some of these principles and use them to prevent burnout, we'll be able to make a big difference. So in the next episode, I'll be sharing the second half of our conversation, which is all about how to plan your working life so that you can ensure that you don't come close to burnout again. So listen to this episode if you want to know why planning your return to work requires more than just checking the newest guidelines. The importance of reintegrating and belonging to your team and how to make a skills inventory to boost your confidence when you go back to work. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for doctors and busy professionals in healthcare and other high-stress jobs who want to beat burnout and work happier. I'm Dr. Rachel Morris, a former GP, now working as a coach, speaker and specialist in resilience at work. Like frogs in a pan of slowly boiling water, many of us have found that exhaustion and stress are slowly becoming the norm. But you are not a frog. You don't have to choose between burning out or getting out. In this podcast, I'll be talking to friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this and inviting you to make a deliberate choice about how you will live and work. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours? Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. 
It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash getyourlifeback. It's really great to welcome back on the podcast today, Dr. Catcher Miles. Hi, Catcher. Hi there. It's good to see you. And Catcher's a former GP. She's an occupational health specialist. She's also one of our Shapes trainers. She's a career coach and a wellbeing trainer. So doing lots of different things, Catcher. Yeah, I just really love to help people love their work again. And there's quite a few people out there who aren't doing that at the moment. So training, coaching is really something that I'm really passionate about. I'm a trained GP and occupational health doctor as well. This is one of the episodes in our series about what to do after burnout. So people have been emailing, requesting this uh, series, and I'm really grateful to Katja for coming on. And Katja really is a specialist in working, working well. You are the working well doctor and also occupational health. And so I thought it'd be really good to pick Katja's brains about how to go back to work. Now, this is obviously about what to do after burnout. But I think a lot of what we talk about is going to apply if you're coming back to work, whatever, uh, whether it's after a maternity leave or whether it's after, you know, a, a long complicated illness, whether it's after a period off with stress or burnout. So I think this will be helpful for lots of people. Now, Katja, first of all, can I ask you what particular issues you notice with people going back to work that are just general issues with with anybody whether they've been off with stress or maternity mm. leave or whatever because I know that you were talking about some common threads that you were seeing I do for a few of these workshops actually like you said for different groups like you describe people from maternity sickness absence which might include burnout or people even on military or academic postings who then come back into medicine there's a couple of things I think if you're away for a fair few months which is normally the position for people like this there's just that sense of being a bit rusty and people often use the word imposter syndrome when they sort of describe how they're feeling that's a very broad term I know you've done a wonderful previous episode with Sarah Golding about that but I think there's there's something about I think people feeling like they feel a bit of a fraud they feel that everybody at work is somehow slick and with it and belonging together and that sometimes people feel that they're not quite back in that zone they're not quite belonging they feel a bit rusty and they've got other stuff going on usually in their lives because they've just had this time away so their focus might have shifted slightly as well so I think those are some of the common themes that that crop up for people people coming back after a period of stress and burnout are there any specific issues for them that you don't see in other people I'd say confidence probably maybe a little bit lower in some of those people coming back after stress and burnout versus somebody who's been away for some other professional development reason. There's something about stamina as well, and, and whether it's burnout or having young kids, there's something just about your stamina capacity, stamina level is probably different. And there's something there just about managing yourself and your sustaining yourself that is maybe different. And I think that happens as we grow up. We all grow older anyway, you know. Mechanisms we would have used in, as junior doctors or as medical students when we drove, basically just smashed through it. You just can't keep that up for the whole of your career. So it's about having slightly different tools in your toolbox. So, sort of confidence, uh, feeling rusty, 
and stamina and life changes. Those are pretty universal things, actually. So we're not just talking about stress and burnout here. We we are talking about coming back after after a prolonged time. And yeah, I've definitely noticed I can do a lot less now <laughs> than I used to be able to do without feeling really, really tired. I'm sure sure that is my age and, and time of life. I think often people that do come back, like you said, after maternity, if you've got a baby or two babies or three babies to look after, people that come, come back after stress and burnout, you've often got a lot of other stuff going on at home as well, haven't you? Which just sort of contributes to the, the tiredness and the exhaustion yeah. that you, you do feel at work. I think there's something about stigma as well. I think if you are away for a maternity leave or paternity leave, away for a professional development, that's great. Whereas if you've been away with an illness, especially sort of stress or burnout, some people, and I obviously passionately don't agree with this, otherwise I wouldn't do this job, but some people still feel quite stigmatised or ashamed that they, they quote, shouldn't have done this or somehow it was embarrassing or that they ended up having burnout. Obviously, having been through burnout myself, my whole passion is to change that narrative, have these conversations and reduce stigma. But I do think that still exists in professional circles. So I think that might be a differentiator between the groups who are coming back from other reasons and those who are coming back from burnout or or stress-related issues. I think it's really interesting, this thing about stigma. Do you think that because of that stigma that people feel, it makes them approach things differently? I think there's a couple of things it influences. When people return back to work, if they've been off for essentially sickness absence with my occupational health hat on, people kind of feel like they that they don't have anything new to offer the workplace and that, 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 you know, the workplace is being very, is working hard to have them back. So all the team is like working hard to have them back in, especially at the beginning when they're trying to settle back in, it can be hard work for the team. And, and, and I think a good team will have an induction period and will try and support people. And that's great. But I think the mindset of the individual returning is different. Often you can feel a bit underconfident that you're a burden and you have nothing new to add. Whereas I really feel that whenever you've been away, you are a richer person because of the life experiences you've had. And the nature of medicine and most current professions is all those skills are going to be relevant because you're dealing with, with people in distress, with patients. So if you've been off and done military service or academic work, of course, there's an obvious thing you're going to be bringing back to work, your clinical work. With, as a parent, you're going to be bringing back probably <laughs> time management skills, you know, taking on responsibilities. And obviously, you'll have that empathy for other new parents. But if you've been away with sickness, absence uh, and burnout, I think you've also got great skills. You've probably got a lot of grit because you're coming back to work. You probably had to display some courage. Uh, and you're going to have empathy for your patients, maybe that you may not have had before you yourself had some a period of, of not being so well. Plenty of patients are stressed. So again, having the ability to relate to that is helpful. You don't have to tell your patient that, but it, you, know, you don't have to tell them your life story necessarily, of course. But just having that experience is going to is going to feed through into how you interact with and relate to your patients. Yeah, so it's that recognizing that whatever you've been through that has given you experience, it's given you empathy, it's given you some skills that you might not have learned before. And I definitely remember when coming back from maternity leave, you know, I was really good at advising people about breastfeeding. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't know that before. Yeah. Like said, time management and, but also the, those other skills about how to carry on when you're absolutely knackered or when you're feeling yeah. like, oh my gosh, I, I've got nothing left to give here. And I think that is so true if you've been off with stress and burnout. You've got a lot to, offer firstly in terms of recognizing stress and the impact on on you yeah 
and then seeking help and realizing about what consequence it has on your life. So actually there's a wealth of of knowledge and experience that I think actually is is really vital, not just with your patients, but actually to share with your colleagues as well, right? Yeah, I was just thinking that as you were saying that there's obviously lots of teams who are having some pressures. Some people are in burnout or on sick leave, but lots of people aren't. They're just under pressure. But the ability to come into that in place and just have these conversations about stress, about pressure, to be able to identify in yourself or others and to, again, not have that stigma and just say, I've been through this. I know how it is. And even just small things where you can just just have your antennae out. And if somebody seems like they're not doing so well, just have a chat to them one human to another really not necessarily just kind of feeling you have to only do that for people who are directly in your chain of command but just for the people in your team just have that human connection and I think that those skills are very helpful it does take courage and awareness but if you have those things then I think you can be a real asset to a team actually. So you've already mentioned that people that come back often feel a bit rusty their confidence is rock bottom they've got this sort of imposter syndrome that I don't really like using the term imposter syndrome but really that's a that's the blanket term we use for sort of lack of confidence and feeling like you're not quite good enough for your job and perhaps yeah. maybe a bit of unhealthy perfectionism I have to sort of label it as what do you advise people to do I think it's about being aware being kind to yourself being able to just use the words you know I, you know feeling like I'm underconfident just being able to say that to your colleagues so I think that's helpful but I do think it's always helpful in the real world to have some practical tips as well so I try and combine the two I think there's one thing I say to people often is if you think about the Yerkes Dodson stress response curve which we might remember it just shows how performance uh, responds to pressure and initially you know the per- your performance will improve as pressure increases as as in an exam you'd hopefully get a peak performance around the exam day just because you're responding to the pressure of the exam. And then obviously, if that becomes chronic, then you get potentially longer term health problems and your performance might decline. But I mentioned that to people returning to work and just say, you know, it's a short term transition coming back to work. And actually, it might be a bit stressful. But if you just think of that response curve, you're probably going to respond to that, that pressure and that stress with improved performance. And returning to work is one stage of your career. It's not a permanent situation. So actually that that might just be okay. You just sort of like you get through the exam, then you get you get through that. Then there's some practical bits just about, you know, do brush up. Guidelines might have changed, especially for people returning during the pandemic or returning to work when the, 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 the mode of working has changed, thinking of GPs coming back to more virtual work or so forth. Do the brushing up. Use those kit days, those keep in touch days, which some workplaces have. If there are courses, go on them. And use also the opportunity of kit days to keep in touch. So it's not just going and, and genning up on the facts, though that's helpful. Also just connecting with your team as well so that you can start to reconnect on a human level, pop in for a cup of tea. Really simple stuff initially. It doesn't have to be massive. So it's just literally going into the building and having a cup of tea and walking out again. That can that can be enough. And then the next time you go in for longer and you might have a meeting about, you know, the new guidelines or the new situation the team's in or whatever's relevant for your team. There's something about thinking of returning in two ways. One is how can I reintegrate with this team? You know, so we've talked about the value you can bring and the skills you're bringing, but also it's, it's kind of about saying, okay, where is the team at? I've been away for a bit. Things have moved on. An example might be 
well, the pandemic's a great example, isn't it? Like, you know, you left and things are very different. You returned and there might be a vaccination campaign underway or the, 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 the software at work might have changed. So there's that piece. Then personalities might have changed. People might have left or returned. So it's about just reconnecting with the people in your team. And you can use this kind of kit days as there's lots of opportunities. You can call it shadowing, if you'd like, which you go in and you sit in with people if that feels appropriate. You might just go and have a meeting where you people catch you up on what's going on. Or you might just go and sit in on a regular meeting, like a team meeting or an MDT or whatever. All of those are ways for you to get a sense of what's going on. Keep your antennae out so you know what the new things are. And then you can identify any gaps. OK, I'm not familiar with this software. OK, I'm going to go and spend a bit of time, you know, whatever, learning the new software, getting the templates ready so that it's not all going to be a massive rush on day one back at work. Then the flip of that is thinking about you belonging. There's not just you belonging to the team, but you probably also belong to other groups. Now, if you're a new parent, you might be belong to parent groups. If you are a military, you're going to have connections with those people. It's also about sustaining all the different support networks you have and just trying to be conscious about that. Lots of people now have WhatsApp groups or for those returning, a trainees returning to work, there's a great organization called Support with TT and Capitals for return to training. So those are a GP trainees or, or other doctor trainees, and I do a fair few workshops for them. And that's a great resource. That's a good example of a network that you could connect with if you're in training as you return to work. And then just real life, you know, real life networks. Is there a junior doctor's committee? Is there some, some other connections in the hospital or in the GP practice that you just want to connect with so you get that sense of belonging because belonging as we know is a really important part of being human actually we all know that you know a sense of not belonging can be perceived as a threat to us as humans so getting whatever we can in place to just reconnect with the, the people we're working with and with the groups we'll be working alongside I think can be really helpful I guess if you've gone off with stress or burnouts probably before you went off Things may well have happened. There may have been some stuff that happened with your colleagues. You may have felt, rightly or wrongly, that you were performing not so well before you went off. And you may well be worried about what people think of you when you come back, maybe because because of the way things were for you when you just before you left. I don't know from your experience, Katya, what what that was like for you. And I know you've you've been off with burnout in the past. Yeah, it was difficult. I remember those feelings and they were not, they're not easy. I think it it requires a bit of courage on your part just to sort of do some of the things we're doing. They're not always easy to do. It requires a team you're going to, to kind of be aware, which I think is another wonderful reason to have this conversation on the podcast. Lots of managers are amazing and really aware and others less so because it just doesn't always crop up for every person who's managing others. I think for the team you're moving into to kind of just be aware of of how people feel when they come back and just small kindnesses. I remember I came back to work and there was a, I think there was some chocolates and wine on my desk on the very first day. And those little, little things are really, are really lovely. So I think from both sides, I guess it's like any relationship really, whether it's with a friend or anything, a bit of working relationship, how can you nurture that relationship? It's both sides just being aware that there's been a bit of space and how can we reconnect and just have that goodwill to reconnect. And on the part of the person coming back to work, sometimes it can feel a bit scary and unsettled. We have to sometimes be brave and get support if we need and then just be honest about how we're feeling as well. Say to people, I feel a bit unsettled. Would it be okay to have a kit day? Could I come in for a cup of tea before my first day? Is there an MDT you're running that I might sit in on or a team meeting just so I can get up to speed? All those those things are really helpful and they show willing 
you know, from your side. And if your manager is also doing similar things, then that, that can build the relationship from, from the, the, the side of the management team as well. It strikes me that all this requires awareness. So mm. it requires perhaps people in your team that you're coming back to, to know about what's happened. And one of the questions I get asked quite a lot when we're doing the Shapes Toolkit, particularly with managers, is, and when I ask, you know, what should you, how should you support people with stress? You know, what would you do when you notice the signs? They're like, well, they're very unsure about what they can tell other people and mm. how much people should know. Now, obviously, it's, it's, it, it, it's obviously up to the person who's coming back yeah. about how much people know about their condition yeah. and what has happened. But in your experience and in your work, how much should people be telling other people about it? Is it, is it helpful just to bear your soul and tell them everything about what's going on so people are, are mega aware? Or is it that you should actually not tell them too much, just the bare bones? Or is there a sort of happy medium? I think it really depends on the individual. So it's, in some ways, it's obvious, right, if you've had a baby. I think the answer is really whatever the worker who's returning, whatever they're comfortable with. Obviously, if they say they don't want anybody to know them, we have to respect that. But people are going to know you've been off, right? So I think there's something to be aware of that whatever you choose to say, people know you've been away. They either know you've been away and why, or they know you've been away and it's a blank, black box. So they're going to be trying to fill in the gaps, right? Yeah. So I think that's something that's helpful for the person returning to, to think. There is no kind of zero option here. You know, you can't just go back and people just pretend like you've not been away. So you, you can then choose what to do with that. You can just say to people, I don't want to talk about it. You could say, it, I, I don't want to talk about it, but if there's any questions you have, feel free to ask and I'll answer them if I feel comfortable. So there's lots of different ways you could respond as the worker to make it a little bit easier for others. And likewise, for the team you're returning to, I think there's an element of, yeah, being respectful of people's boundaries, but then you can also have that door open saying, I understand you don't want to say it now, but if at any point you wanted to say, yeah, feel free to let me know. It's really just about people feeling comfortable, whatever it takes. It might just be they all need to go out for a karaoke night and that's what your team needs to feel comfortable. And they don't need to know all the details about why you're off sick. Yeah, it really depends on the team and how they function and how you function. I think being aware that it's a thing, you can't pretend there's nothing that's happened. It's difficult, isn't it? I mean, my my sort of modus operandi is just to tell everybody everything. I'm quite yeah. an open person, which, which isn't always great because often... It's quite difficult for people to know to know everything. So I've had to learn to sort of rein it in a bit and not not make other people really, really uncomfortable. But I do think some people go the the opposite way with their privacy. You know, I can't possibly say anything to anybody. And I think if you're someone who is working with someone who's coming back to work, particularly if they've been off with stress and burnout or maybe another mental health condition, you worry about doing the wrong thing, about saying the wrong thing, about yeah. not helping enough. And I would always want people just to say, actually, this is what's happened to me. This is what would be really, really helpful. Can you make a special effort to do this or not to do that? And these are the allowances that I really would like and would be really helpful to me. Because to me, I can't read people's minds and I can't infer from their behavior or their closed door what, what they're thinking. And I really struggle when people just assume that, well, you should have known this. Or I would just assume that this is how you would act if they haven't been really explicit so I guess I would always want people to be pretty open and say look this is what's happened and this is what I need I get it 
You'll push for time and with over 200 episodes, how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work? Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops top five episodes sorry and leap into your happiest thriving self again just go to you are not a slash quiz yeah it's interesting that so obviously if you are off with sickness absence then it, it would be great to connect with occupational health because they're really really well suited the best people really to help with exactly this work out what the adjustments are that you might need work with management to work out how realistic that is if you've got a good relationship with your manager you can just have that conversation directly often and you might need input from occupational health as well for the sort of expertise so i would suggest that if you're coming back from sickness absence and burnout would be part of that then do please do please get in touch with occupational health they're great i'm not just saying that because of my background and often gps have got expertise in that area too so do make use of that that's really important and if it's not for sickness absence then Similar conversations, like you were just saying about allowances, a thing that sprung to my mind when you're talking about that is if you're a mum coming back to work and you're breastfeeding, then you might need to have some space to express some breast milk and a fridge to put it in. And all that just requires conversations, preferably in advance, because everything takes time to plan. And even if you don't want to, like you were just saying, you don't want to tell the whole story, you can even just say that. I don't, I'm not comfortable saying this, or I'm not able to say that, but I'd, I'd like to show this or... I could tell you that, or do you have any questions? Feel free to ask me, and where possible, I'll answer them. Just sort of fostering some honesty, even if it's not open. I'm telling you my whole life, but you know, I'm going to be honest about what I can and can't say. And you, please be honest about what you you do and don't need. I think it's one thing, though, to tell your manager this is what I need. But the people who are often most affected are your colleagues, mm. and you know, if you're working alongside them, they may have to do extra work if you're on sort of restricted hours and things like that and to my mind it's obviously helpful the manager knowing but it'd be really helpful your colleagues knowing you don't have any rights to know but again it's really hard for people they don't know and again I think that gets back to the stuff I was saying before about reintegrating and belonging so where possible that's where informal relationships are really helpful and again people don't have to know everything they just sometimes just need to know something and it's 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 a process, isn't it? You might come back to work and feel like, I don't want to tell anybody anything, but after a while you might feel more comfortable because you're more settled back in. But yeah, I think where possible, where people know where they stand, it makes things easier. Ketcha, when you came back after burning out, when you came back to work, what was your biggest fear? Gosh, <laughs> oh, I had lots of worries. I think it was really that, and what, what people would now call imposter syndrome and feeling you were a bit rusty, those kind of things. I think they're really common. And I, I remember feeling pretty underconfident. So imposter syndrome, feeling rusty. And I know that you mentioned earlier when we were chatting that that a skills inventory can be quite helpful in terms of getting over some of that. What, what do you mean by that? Yeah, sometimes I get people to do a little exercise in workshops or in coaching where I just ask them to think about something they've done while they've been away from work or it could be anything somebody somebody did something about they got some chickens you know a, a project you've done while you've not been at the, in this work you know did you in this instance get some chickens did you do something 
new with your kid? Have you done something on your military or academic work? And then just give a brainstorming, like give two minutes on the clock or one minute on the clock and literally write down everything you did to get that goal achieved. So, and actually with, with the example of the chickens, I remember that somebody was like, well, they had to research the chickens, buy the chickens, work out how to look after chickens, build a chicken house, learn how to build a chicken house, source the equipment, source the materials, build that chicken house, get the chickens, feed the chickens. And actually it's okay. So when they step back from that, after a very short period of time brainstorming, like look at all those skills. That's a huge, basically set of project management skills you've got from your chicken husbandry you know and you may not have had those if you hadn't had time away from clinical work some people might view it the weekends around the edges of clinical work I'm not saying you have to take parental leave to get chickens but it's just an example of what people can do and I think being able to then delineate what you've actually done and and realize all the different skills that you've had another one might be time management if you've got young kids and you're managing time in a different way because you've now got many more responsibilities you're juggling I think there's a lot of a lot of skills actually we have and it's helpful to outline them and then realize okay how can that apply to work time management's an obvious one yeah okay so think about building your confidence do some stay in touch days do some brush up recognize that actually it, it might feel tricky but in the short term we can all cope with stress and stress can be quite a, a motivator in in the short term yeah <laughs> to get you to your peak performance but not if it not if it goes on and on and yeah. then stuff about working out how the team has changed and how you can sort of reintegrate yourself and belong a little bit more in the, the team that you were in, but also accessing the support networks you might have outside of work and things like that. Yeah, definitely. Is there anything else that you, that, that you go through when you do your workshops that, that's been helpful for people? One thing that's sometimes helpful is you have people, especially for parental leave, who are at different stages of the, if you want to use the J word, of the journey. And that can be really helpful for people just to share together. So some people might join and they're six months away from coming back to work. Others might join and they're two weeks away. Or there's a couple of people who have actually just just returned to work. And the ability to share with others who are on that in that journey, on that journey, is really helpful, I think, because it allows you to realise you're not alone and to do a bit of benchmarking. So I think that can be helpful. And I, I, I think having a few touch points after your return is helpful, whether it's touch points with your informal support group or with your manager after a, a little bit back saying, how is it going, essentially? And an opportunity there to tweak things or get more support or make other adjustments if possible. So it's not just like, let's get to work and then everything stops and it's kind of assumed you're going to roll on. But often it takes a couple of months to get back to a place where you feel that you're kind of fluent again and just giving yourself time to do that and giving yourself a couple of check-ins along that process is helpful. So one of the things I think people particularly when they're coming back with stress and burnout oh after stress and burnout are really worried about is this fear of well is this just going to happen again am Mm. I going to go off with stress and burnout again Mm. and I mean I always think it's a bit like getting lead poisoning from drinking the water you might you know be living somewhere with dreadful lead pipes you're giving yourself lead poisoning because you're drinking the water you go off to the alps to recover and have you know six months of no lead then you come back and you start drinking the the water again and you know you're just going to get sick again and i think sometimes if you've been off with burnout you're going back into exactly the same thing it's pretty likely to happen again I'm wondering, is, is that a given or is it not? 
Oh, goodness. That's a tricky question. I think, as ever, it's individual, isn't it? So there's lots of things we can do. I do think awareness is really important. So I think even that that thing you just outlined about being worried it might happen again, worry, it it can become a positive if you reframe that as as an awareness. Okay, I'm aware this happened. I'm very motivated for it not to happen again. Uh, What can I do? And one thing I would say is do do get support the way we've talked about. But also, you know, there are there is coaching available. I do coaching and, and courses. I'm actually doing a course about love your return to work. So I think it's helpful to get resources. So that's one thing. I think there's something about acknowledging that it might be worth planning ahead and planning things a bit differently you know last time the way things were didn't work and that's why we ended up in burnout okay fine so what can we do differently now what can i do as an individual what can i do within my team and more broadly in the longer term how can i design the work i do so when i do career coaching with people that's often what people are thinking about how am i going to design my career what's going to work better for me what can i afford what's practically possible so fitting all those pieces of the jigsaw puzzle together. I think there's also something about acknowledging you've been through a big change. So just acknowledging it is a big transition and you need to give yourself time. I think that's important when people come back to work and they think, oh, you know, I'm finding it difficult immediately. And I think you just need to acknowledge it is a little bit unsettling and just come back to work and finding things a little bit difficult initially doesn't mean you're right back into burnout. It just means that change is difficult for all of us and we need to give ourselves time, learn and adapt and that is a normal, a normal experience. I think there's something there about having early warning signs as well. So you know what, it, if you've been through burnout or through stressful periods, you know what that's like. What are your early warning signs? What are your, what did you notice about yourself when you were heading into burnout? I often talk about red flags for burnout. So what are the red flags? What are the warning signs? Okay, that's great. It's good to know that. And many healthcare professionals love a red flag, but we're all individuals. So we may not all have a standard list of red flags. So there's something there about being personally aware. So for me, when I was struggling, I cracked my own tooth. Now, cracking your own tooth is not a typical red flag for burnout. But what I didn't do when I cracked my tooth, well, okay, let me say, what I did do was I went to the dentist and got treated and got the little guard that you put in your your, your teeth at night and all of that. I did all that bit, but I didn't do any further reflection. Why Why was this going on? What's going on to give me so much sort of long-term stress? I've kind of cracked my own tooth. So that awareness was, was absent for me. And that, but, but then coming back after burnout, I then had, the, I had that experience. I had that awareness. So now when I get a tense jaw, I'm like, okay, something's going on here. Let me have a little pause and a reflect and think about what might be causing that stress. So that kind of experience of burnout the first time has actually given you some more insights and more knowledge and you can use that to support yourself going forward watch out for early warning signs and then take action early to prevent yourself getting into burnout and obviously i say this in pretty much every workshop you know it's okay if you find that you are struggling again that's okay to not be okay but just do get early support and that's the most important thing there's that thing doctors often do where we don't seek help we want to be physician heal thyself or just do a quick card a consultation with a colleague or a friend but do allow yourself to be a patient, see your own GP and occupational health if needs be. Practitioner health is a great resource, which I know has been talked about on this podcast before. So just make sure you get support if needs be. And typically the, the people you've done some career coaching with, what sort of things have they changed that has helped them avoid and prevent burnout? 
Yeah, that's really interesting. I think, again, it's very individual as to what they need. But I think there's some tenets and some common themes. One is this theme about being aware, just having that awareness. The other one is about permission. I don't know about you or about other people listening, but I used to feel very guilty about any of this stuff, even thinking or talking and reflecting on what I might need. Because, you know, if doctors and caring professionals were there to look after others, of course, you know, make the care of your patient the first concern is in the Hippocratic Oath. And of course, that's true. But I think it's really important that we that we also give ourselves permission. Yeah, we also give ourselves permission to look after ourselves as well, not instead of, but as well as the patients. And there's um, the Declaration of Geneva, the modern Hippocratic Oath has an, has an addition, the last clause now says, I will attend to my own health, well-being and abilities in order to provide care of the highest standard, or words to that effect. And that, I found that really helpful because it allowed me to give myself permission. And I think that's the other thing that people who I speak to in, in coaching are thinking about. They've given themselves permission to think about this and to say, it's okay to work out what I need along with the, the patients uh, and maybe other people you might be caring for. Often we have children or other dependents we're caring for. And it's about trying to balance the needs of everybody, including yourself. And I think there's also something about being proactive. If you want to make changes, you've got to be proactive. You've got to make some plans, make sometimes some tricky choices because there's often no easy choices because if it was easy, you'd have worked out already. Uh, And sometimes there's a payoff to be made, for example, between hours and money worked is one example, or between a flexibility of locum and stability of a salary job might be another example. And work out what fits for you and, and make those payoffs. And that takes a bit of being proactive, sometimes a bit of courage. And that's really what the coaching and training is for. Yeah, I'm always reminded of that phrase, if you always do what you've always done, you're always going to get what you've always got. And so if you go back into the same workplace with the same mindset, doing the same thing, then probably you're always going to get what you've always got. Now, it's not always possible to reduce your hours, like you said, for financial reasons or recruitment reasons or something like that. But there are other changes that you can make if you can't necessarily change your working patterns like you said the mindset shift of permission giving yourself permission learning to embrace embrace the guilt which is something that we talk about a lot in our permission to thrive membership about yeah you know if you're feeling guilty it's means you're a good person right it means that you can't do everything that you really want to do yeah and just recognizing that and going but but that's okay for me i think recognizing your limits is a really important thing my impression of people before an episode of stress and burnout is that they feel that they're superhuman. They feel that they can burn the candle at both ends and do huge amounts of of work every week, see all the patients they're asked to see, do absolutely everything and be pretty high achieving outside of work as well, often running several different things, ignoring their own need for exercise, for sleep for good nutrition, then they have a significant burnout or period of stress and they realise that they are human. They do have limits. And that's when they start to put the boundaries in of saying, I know I need this sleep. I know I can't go away every weekend. I know that if I have an on-call day, I can't do anything in that evening and I need to get extra help with the family. And they just start Cutting things back and simplifying life. I think simplifying is one thing that happens a lot. Mm. And they start to put a few buffers in as well. I have a friend who, you know, was very 
high achieving, high performing, did everything, had a, a serious episode of burnout. And now she's very boundaried and she'll say, I, I, I can't cope with another night out this week. I'm sorry. <laughs> she knows that. She knows she needs X amount of nights in to rest and recover so that she can do her job to the best of her ability. And I know in my own life, the thing that makes me feel the most stressed is when I'm hurried, I'm rushing, there's no buffers, there's no time in between things. I'm rushing from one thing to another and there's absolutely no downtime. And I think what stress and burnout does for you, the gift, if I can phrase it as a gift, or the lesson, let's say the lesson it gives to you is that you have to put buffers in and you have to have some downtime and you have to take some time off and some time out and have rests. And often that is actually achievable, even in the job that you were doing before. But like you said, you have to be pretty proactive about doing that. It's funny, actually, I was thinking about that recently when I was in the olden days, when I was a medical student, I would write a revision timetable and I would always do whatever, whatever, however long it was, a week's worth of revision. And I'd put a buffer in at the end. So like the last afternoon would be blank. But you know that by by the time you came to that afternoon, it wouldn't be empty it would be filled with all the stuff you hadn't managed to do before and I think that just planning that in your daily life is really helpful and there's something I think you said actually which sprung to mind when you were speaking which is you know if you're doing that then actually being realistic about how long things take you know if you've got something to do estimate how long it's going to take and then double it and that's probably more realistic as the amount of time it's going to take whether it's because you get interrupted or there's some extra complexity or whatever the reason but those things, I think, really do help you be more measured in how you pace yourself, essentially, through your working day, week, year, and balance the fact that the things you do outside of work also hopefully are rewarding, but they're also going to take resources as well. They often take a fair bit of energy, especially if you're looking after others, children or elders or, or whatever. So, yeah, I think that's really important. Yeah, there's a really good book on that, isn't there? And there's there's one the sleep diplomat who's got some really interesting TED talks on the benefits of sleep. And I think, yeah, just sort of realizing there's a fair, there's an increasing body of sort of evidence to support some of this stuff. I, again, I find that helpful knowing that there's something that sits behind it rather than just essentially a platitude. So that's, that's something I find helpful. What's your top three tips about returning to work at any point after a prolonged absence? What would your top three tips be? I think the first tip would be to plan ahead. There are lots of reasons we've discussed why to do that, but don't think about returning to work on the Sunday night before you go back on the Monday, but give yourself preferably at least a month or two. So plan ahead, communicate, yeah, communicate where possible as much or as little as you feel comfortable communicating. And I do think there's something there about just being kind to yourself. It's it's a normal to find these changes tricky. We've talked about the change curve and so on, but just be kind to yourself. It's 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 normal. Transitions in life are normal, and finding transitions tricky is normal. And it's just a question of getting the getting the pieces in place to support you through it, and getting help if, if things feel tricky. Brilliant. Great, that was great four. Tips. But anyway, I think <laughs> of that four. Sorry, we don't count. we don't count on this podcast. You're allowed. You're allowed. I think my tips would be, and I loved what you said about, you know, if you're feeling rusty, what can you do to brush up and keep in touch? I, I would call this staying in your zone of power. So you know, mm. work out what you're in control of. What could you do? So if you're feeling rusty, if you're feeling underconfident, 
go and have a cup of tea, go and catch up, go and do a course, go and do something that's going to help work out what you need, reach out and get it. So that's very much things that you are, you are in control of. If you're feeling isolated from the team, ask someone for a cup of tea or, you know, bring a, bring in a cake or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So there's all that stuff that you can, you can do. So that would be my mentor. Brilliant. Mm. Katja, if people want to get in touch with you, find out more about your work. So the best way is to go to workingwelldoctor.com where you can get links to everything. If you want to join the newsletter, the Thrive Well News, you can just go to the website and click there or go to my Instagram and click there. I'm on social media at the Working Well Doctor. And then for the Burnout Remedy workshop or small course I'm doing short course and the love your return to work short course there's registration list for those uh, so you can just go to the website or drop me an email so it's workingwelldoctor.com and the working well experience at gmail.com tell me what you're after and I'll sort it out or you can go to my website and follow the links great thank you so much and catch us also one of our shapes trainers delivering shapes toolkit courses on a Zoom call near you. So. On a Zoom call near you. And sometimes in real life, it's very exciting nowadays. Yeah, it's sometimes really fun. We're back doing face to face. So that's nice as well. So, yeah, if, if you'd like us to come to a Shapes Toolkit with you, just, just get in touch at the email address in the show notes. So, thank you, Katya. We'll have you back soon. So, that was the first half of our conversation. Tune in next week on episode 128 to hear the rest of our conversation. And this time, we talk about how to plan your working life after burnout. We get a lot more philosophical and we think about the importance of working out what you want, what you want your working week to look like. This will be relevant to you, whether you have had a burnout or whether you just want to prevent yourself from going into burnout. So we'll see you then. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please share it with your friends and colleagues. Please subscribe to my You Are Not A Frog email list and subscribe to the podcast. And if you have enjoyed it, then please leave me a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. So keep well, everyone. You're doing a great job. You got this.